This is episode number 317 with Maya Tiwari. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. Maya Tiwari is an Ayurveda pioneer, scholar, and best-selling author working in the field for more than 30 years. She established the first Ayurvedic school in North America in 1981, the Wise Earth School of Ayurveda. I love that name. She's also the founder of the Mother Om, a charitable organization in at-risk communities in New York, that transforms disease and despair into wellness and joy. She has personally helped thousands of women to heal from devastating disorders. Through her global humanitarian work, she teaches others how to promote peace and create inner harmony. She is a regular featured speaker at the Parliament of World Religions and other interfaith conferences worldwide. She has healed from terminal cancer and won many awards for her outstanding work in Ayurvedic medicine. And in this conversation, it's such a goodie, we chat about how she healed from terminal cancer. We also talk about the one person that will help you overcome your suffering. We also chat about the thoughts that are sabotaging your healing the universal wound that all women are carrying, how to stop competing and comparing with others, how to rediscover our elders' teachings, how to declutter our inner space, the importance of doing the soul work for deep healing, the small actions that we can awaken our Shakti, she likes to call it become Shaktified, I love her take on this. And we also talk about how to improve our karma, plus so much more. I loved this conversation so much. I wish I could just curl up at her feet and hear her speak and share for hours. It was really like sitting with this beautiful, wise elder and just hearing her wisdom. It was such a beautiful experience. I'm so excited for you guys to dive in. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 317. But before we dive into this beautiful conversation, I want to read the review of the week. 
And this week, it's a five-star review from Natalie C. And it's titled Inspirational. And Natalie says, I've been listening to Melissa's podcasts for years now, and they always seem to trigger inspiration and thought-provoking guidance. I absolutely love the topics that she covers and the variety of amazing souls she has on the show. I'm so grateful for these episodes as they have taught me so much and definitely helped me see things in a different light. Thank you for your brightness in this world. You're an angel. Natalie, you're an angel. Thank you so much for that beautiful five-star review. I'm so grateful. And as a thank you gift, I want to send you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. So for anyone who leaves me a review, please send a screenshot of the review to hello at melissaambrosini.com and I will email you my wildly wealthy guided meditation as a little thank you present. And if you want to get my Bursting with Love guided meditation, you could leave a review on Amazon for either Mastering Your Mean Girl or Open Wide or both and send me a screenshot of that too and I'll send my Bursting with Love meditation over to you as well. And now let's dive in. Let's bring on the beautiful, the wise, the wonderful Maya Tuwari. Beautiful lady, I am so excited to have you here with me today. Before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, what a pesty question, (laughs) because there was coffee in it, (laughs) coffee and lots of milk. I am a milk lover, good quality milk, but milk nonetheless. I tend, because of my own constitution and because of the 37 years on the road in doing the work that I do, not to have breakfast because it slows me down. Constitutionally, I have a good deal of kapha in me. And what happens with kapha is once you awaken the kapha dosha, it is fiercely hungry. Are you predominantly kapha? Because I am more pitta. So I'd love to hear, like, what is your breakdown of your constitution? Yeah, I'd rather we didn't talk about my personal constitution because we are all, all three, vata, pitta, and kapha. However, kapha can be dominant in ancestry and also pervade some of the vitiation, meaning impairments within the body. So if kapha isn't completely balanced, whether it's part of our metabolic body type or not, it will act up. I have a strong kapha, although I am vata pitta, as far as the constitution, the predominant constitution, and you are the other pitta vata from your beautiful look, which is really probably one of the best uh, next to PK because, well, Pitta Kapha is the best because of fire and water. They sort of respect each other. They both are very powerful and one can douse the other. So it is, it's, uh, it usually keeps a better equanimity. But moving on from that, I rarely ever talk about doshas. The question of breakfast led me to at least offer an explanation for why I'm having this stimulating brew in the morning. I do love tea. I I am a chai person, sometimes herbal chai with cardamom, clove, and lots and lots of fresh ginger and milk, of course, with herbs or sometimes with a good quality black tea as well. I think as we reach a certain age in our lives, Melissa, and you have some ways to go, 
it's important that we have uh, more stimulating meals, not all the time. For instance, I found that in the amazing winter that we had just gone through, of course, we're now in end of spring almost, and you are at the opposite end of, of that season. But what I find in the spring is, a, is, a, is sort of always in an imbalanced state. Because the transition from dormancy to absolute glory is huge. And so the human body also goes through that. So I've added black pepper and a good quality cayenne, which many pitta people can't use. But it's wonderful because it is a stimulant as well. It stimulates the digestive agni or fire and helps us to digest better. At this time of COVID-19, it is imperative that we digest not only food, but news and also the situations that continually unfold. I am an old New Yorker, and I have quite a few people there that I know very well that have been affected personally by this virus. And they're doing extremely well on the Ayurveda regime, by the way. And we shan't get into too much of that because we don't want to challenge the medical so-called status quo. But Ayurveda has been extremely helpful in curtailing some of this problem for people. Yeah, well, everyone listening knows that I'm obsessed with Ayurveda. I love it. I love it so much. But I want to hear a little bit more about your story and how you healed from terminal cancer using these principles. So can you talk to us about some of the principles that you used to heal yourself from terminal cancer? Well, the thing about that, Melissa, is that I'm now 68 years old. That happened 50 years ago when I was 18 years old. 18? Mm-hmm. Wow. And survived it in a five-year odyssey while in New York City and a high fashion designer of, of some renown with my Madison Avenue store at all at a very young age. The Jackie Onassis and Rudolf uh, Nureyev were all part of the clientele that I served at that time. But having moved on from that, it, it looked like another history, another life, another past. And I've spoken and written so much about that odyssey. I think in short, it is, as I develop more maturity, I find that in short, we are looking really at the goddess's help. And we can never really tell how we have survived something. I do believe as I get older, that divine grace is always a part of our healing. And it is always the core part of who we are and what we do. Obviously, it was not my time to die. and. In fact, I was not so invested in living either during those young years because of many complex, chaotic history that I came from. And what ended up happening was I was given a life sentence of six months, if lucky, a little more to live. And I decided that I'd had enough radiation treatment, enough chemotherapy treatment. I had practically disappeared. I was half the size of my normal body. and. I just couldn't take that interaction any longer because I didn't see it going where it needed to go or where it could have gone. But I wasn't judging it either because I had some of the most qualified, exquisite caretakers. My oncologist in particular was a phenomenal healer, allopathically geared, but nonetheless took on a father figure for me throughout my five-year odyssey. After that, I went away because I loved the snow. I was born in a tropical country in Guyana, 
South America, Indian origin. But I fell in love with the snow. I came for the first time to America when it was snowing and thought it was winter when I left the care of the hospital and my surgeons and oncologists. And I thought it would be so wonderful to be in the middle of winter. That austerity somehow pulled me in and had a friend who had a ski cabin out in Vermont, a place called Sugarbush, Vermont, in fact. And she was kind enough to let me use it and, and introduce me to some of the local winter help, which was root cellars and, and the like, because, you know, Vermont is still an amazing, natural, organically grown place. And so the rest is history. I spent a lot of time speaking into an audio cassette player, an old-fashioned type cassette player at the time, just speaking out my traumas and drama and conflicts, and really slept very little, kept the huge fire going. But I was strung out between the subtle and gross body, meaning I was already traveling to the higher ethers, the next destination. And so I was unhinged and saw so many experiences, so many visions, including that of my father, including my guru who had not appeared as yet, including words from the Bhagavad Gita. My father was an amazing scholar of, of the Hindu tradition as well. And when we later met after I survived cancer, he did say that he was with me during those times because I had not told my family about my despair with the cancer journey because what was happening in their country, in my country, it was then British Guyana, then it became independent from British rule, was a civil war, a racial civil war. And the Indians, at least half the Indians, uh, mid-age, left Guyana and exodus to England, United States, and Canada. Now, that's another long, incredible story, which I have written about in The Path of Practice. So those who'd like to know more about that can read that book. It's a divine book that Ballantine Press, which is part of Random House, produced some years back. Yeah. So let's talk about suffering because obviously at that time in your life, you were experiencing a lot of inner trauma and suffering. And right now in the world, there is a lot of trauma. There's a lot of suffering going on. How can we heal through that? Like, How can we move past our suffering and come back into a place of joy and light? So much of what we do in the self-help industry that I have been part of for almost 40 years, Melissa, has taught me that when we have trauma, really we need an elder and a good friend, not necessarily the same person. Because it is so important that we speak our journey out. Journaling alone is an isolated thing. It doesn't, it helps to some degree, but not the way when an elder is listening to us. We have to rebuild our community to bring back the wisdom keepers, not therapists. Therapists you can see as well. But I know so many things that therapists themselves cannot deal with. And so even though it's a necessary function in our society, it has to be way more mindful and way more intimate than therapeutic sessions. It needs to be the wise elder. It needs to be, if not in our family, in someone else's family, the shamanic women and men, the older brother, the older sister, doesn't have to be blood ties. This is extremely important. So that would be the number one suggestion that I would make. And that's free. Absolutely. And everything we do is practically free. You know, it's, it's, uh, 
except for the long-term courses that very train practitioners because we do need a team and a staff to do that. But basically, what I would suggest not to do, which is as important as what to do, is to inundate ourselves with the ideologies and ideas and, oh, eat this food, oh, take that vitamin, oh, do this. No, that vitamin doesn't work, but this one does. No, that yoga school isn't all that. Uh, let's go to this yoga school. Da, 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 da. It strips us. Searching, searching, searching everywhere outside. Madly searching. And we have been in that search trauma mode way before COVID happened. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's been years where people are constantly looking outside of themselves to find inner happiness. To find the inner happiness. And because of all the sales pitches we have in our cultures, including India now, we inundate people with all the products because, you see, consciousness has no product. And therefore, a product is not going to get be the vehicle that gets us there. We have to sooner or later come back to the authenticity, the core self. What am I suffering from? Why am I traumatized? Why do I feel this anger and angst? I wanted to talk a bit about the mother womb because most of my audience, and it just happened karmically, I have worked with thousands of women who have not been well over so many years because I toured and traveled relentlessly with the Peace Mandala Tour. I've been in Australia so many times. I feel it is my home. And, uh, you know, the Southern Hemisphere, Brazil as well. But what it is that we need to look at as women and men too, but I will talk to the women now because from my experience and from the Vedic tradition in which I hail and in which I was taught as well, we understand that the feminine force we all have it. Children have it. Men have it. Women have it. Animals have it. But the procreative feminine force lies within the female body, the woman's body, the woman's mind, the woman's psyche. Her soul is part of that Shakti. Nothing heals until that heals. Mother Earth isn't about to heal until we, as women, heal that within ourselves. But how do we do that? Yeah, there's so many factors that are inundating and denigrating and destroying our earth today. We shan't get into that in this interview. Most people know what they are, and we can't inundate ourselves with all of it, but we must know this, that we are inextricably connected to Mother Earth, and we heal her as much as she heals us. Because we are the ones who is not fastened to the earth or the sky or to the rivers and to the waters or floating about in the air. We are the sentient being in our universe, in our world called earth. And in that sentiency, it's more than intelligence. It is the shaktified force. It is a maternal thing. It's not about patriarchs and matriarchs either, men and women, because you and I both know women that are more patriarchal than men, especially the political women, because they've patterned their strength after what they felt was power. But that's not power. That's just fear. The patriarchal whole veneer is about the fear of the mystery of the shakti, of the mother, of the earth, of, of Devi, of the goddess, of women. So... Women, we need to take back that largest, that gift of being whole. And 
whoever has told you that wholeness is only about light is sadly mistaken. Wholeness for each one of us is not a pretty process because we live on the carnal grounds of bones. We have to go through it as human beings. Everything in life has violence in it. The way we are born, the way that the seed gets broken up as it pushes itself through the earth, and then this fragile sprout that looks so innocent comes out of it, but she has just pierced the density of an earth, for God's sake. That's what the Shakti is about. We are both the vulnerable like that sprout, and we are like the broken seed, but yet again we are the procreative life. And there is a process that Mother Nature decided from the beginning of time, and no science, no amount of intervention, no amount of man's ideology of what is and what can be and what can be bettered will ever work, except to denigrate that exquisite nature. Now, not by force of deliberation, because I don't buy that. I think through the movements of history, Women have been denigrated, not because they are women, but because they are Mother Earth. Because there is a tie-in that is so mysterious to those who are just looking at the veneer for power, profiteering, and whatever else we call it. And that stands for like the things that are being broken up today, the infrastructure that is falling apart, and it's about time. And so women, we also have a glorious opportunity right now to reclaim this Shakti. One of the things is to get that friend, to find the bond and relationship with other women. Because what women need most of all is the circle of women. We're so divorced from that now. Like we're so separate. We are divorced because even when we try to have a circle, I see it in groups that, uh, well, I shan't say my own group because we teach sadhana, which gets us for some time out of the competition and get us into the cooperation. But but the fact of the matter is it's more than competition and, co and cooperation. It's more than just going after the ideal. It's more than respecting each other because I've never had a group that did not show respect to each other. But it is that hidden little thing that has been cultivated over so long in all of our ancestry that allows us to want to not be unified. And yet that goes against the grain of unification in the Shakti principle. And as soon as we can get past it, and there are ways to get past it, I don't teach that in my group, but we do have to negotiate it in every group because it's there, it's present. So you're saying there's an innate part within us that doesn't want to be unified? Well, it's not innate, but it's learned. It's learned. Okay. Learned behavior. And it's habitual. And it's been practiced by our mothers, and it's been practiced by their mothers, and it's been practiced before that. And so I call it the mother wound. And we carry it as women. We have this wound, each one of us. I've worked with so many women, and it all comes down to one thing, a mother wound. And I had to, when I was in my 40s, start because I was getting very aggravated and very not energized by how much these women were actually pulling and taking. I actually came from a tradition that we don't set up boundaries. We don't know what they are. We are incredibly accessible and we always feel that our energy will last forever. Well, it's not the truth. It doesn't last forever. And I remember in my mid-40s, I began to feel the pull, like, this is not right. You know, I need to open the door and throw these women out. Because basically, what was happening 
was becoming a codependent sort of push-pull, sort of I am going to compete with you kind of situation. And I realized that I had to start looking at my own mother wound. So how do we break that cycle? How do we heal that mother wound so that we're not in these codependent, competitive relationships with the women in our life? Very good question, Melissa. And I think you know the answer. We have to accept that that is there, that it is one of our fragilities. But it's the largest fragility we can bear in any tradition at any age because it underscores everything else that we attempt to do in our lives. As long as the mother wound is wide open and sore and not in any way healed, if it's healed somewhat, we are able to get by better with other women. But if it is not healed, and if it is partially healed, what happens is it's very difficult to then develop compassion for another who is suffering because we are focused on the self-suffering. The wound creates our desire to, to fight it, to, to hide it, to deny it, to not make it work, to, to scramble for the things that would so otherwise be so easy to achieve and accomplish. And so the first thing is to acknowledge it. Now we can use a journal in this case things will come up. And the wonderful way to do it is acknowledge it with the people we know the most. And that is usually our living mother, even if she's not alive, our relationship to that entity. And let's let's understand that the caption and heading for that writing or that unleashing is not about my mother did this to me. It is about, and it's not even who are we to forgive our mothers? We don't know their situations. We don't know their circumstances. We never walked in their shoes. Look, if we look at our grandparents' time, we're all balking about COVID and how inconvenient we are and da 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 and the economic. Look at the, the people who were born in the early 1900s. They went through World War One, World War Two, about 200 epidemics, food transportation, no refrigerator. I mean, look, let's face it, we have it very easy compared to that. So let's go back to our mother. And the heading is, I want to redefine my relationship to my mother. Right away, it's a positive step, meaning we're going to write, but we're not going to write falsely. We will write, and then after we write it out, we'll then strip away all the judgments that we have built in and all the belief that hasn't been proven by any any means, and just leave what is bare and leave it open and ask for help because our female ancestors are our best guides. And they are, they know the issues, they know the solutions, they know the problem, they, they endured it. And they really are there. I've done, Melissa, the ancestral work, even though it's in my tradition, it's a work done mainly by the eldest sons and the male priests of the family. But I did ask for permission because I don't have a womb, so to speak, as a woman was going to procreate. And I was, Already also a sannyasin, which is a renounced monk in the Vedic tradition at that time, I no longer am. And I wanted to have something more universal that women can use to help them bring the ancestors closer and heal that part of it. The mother wound is tied to the entire lineage of our ancestry. So once we kind of open our journal and pick up our pen and start writing. I can imagine for many people, it can be really confronting, like almost they might feel a little bit scared or 
fearful. So how can we move through that? We are so lucky in, in, I know that your audience is all over the world, but in India and in Australia, because these are two countries I know extremely well, as well as the United States, we have so many indigenous elders. We need to seek them out. Not only will we be able to, to honor them on the mantle that they so deserve, but they'll be able to bless us with the knowledge that they've been carrying and, and suffering with. You know, look at what happened to their cultures, all of them. And what the remnants of what is left, there's still that knowledge base there. I was so pleased to work with the Aboriginal women in Perth because I understood, I took the work of the womb shakti medicine, which is about healing our wombs, because we carry these wounds in our womb. And then our girls inherited, and then their girls inherited, and then it goes on like an endless, tiresome windstorm. So we need to make the change. We need to come to terms with the fact that it doesn't matter who we are. We are all suffering with the mother wound as women. And once we get clear as to what that's about, once we understand that we're not going to judge our mothers, nor do we even know our grandmother's story that well to judge her. So we kind of let that go. We have to create, let that go in order to make the space within our own serenity, the space within our own sentiency, because without space, we cannot make changes in our life. And this is inner space. We're cluttered. We're as cluttered as the yoga studios are. And we need to start stripping thin. One of the most beautiful things that the event of this, the agency of, of viruses, and especially this unusual form of virus, can prevent for us, and, and more importantly, the lockdown that is imposed as a result of this and whatever else is going on, one of the most important things we can do is to start stripping. And I mean from within. We can start with the external, the closets, the this, the storages, the stuff we've never used, the pantry, the, the, the. strip it, strip it down to a known what you can see, visible and remember inventory. Then that starts applying within ourselves. Set up an ancestral altar space. I designed a beautiful one for traveling. And I didn't put it out there because I don't like to be associated with products. But let's get back to the idea. In the northeast corner, which is Ishana, which brings in the light in all of our southern and northern hemisphere, set up a little table, a little space in a serene corner of a room you're not really using a lot. Not the family TV living room, please. And <laughs> could even be in a beautiful kitchen because then it, it memorializes the kitchen into our temple. Already we have a shift to our grandmothers and great grandmothers. And take away the noise. You don't need a radio in the kitchen. You don't need to hear TV in the kitchen. You don't need to hear noise in the kitchen. You don't need all that blender stuff. But if you have to use some, that's fine. But just try and refashion the simplicity and set up your altar so that it's there, a little tiny altar. It can be an image of, of one of the goddesses that you love. It could be an image of your elder grandmother or someone that you cared for deeply. It could be an image of your guru. It can be a flower, a tiny little vase of flower, a little key lamp or natural candle, whatever. You, you, a nice stone that matters to us, a quartz or whatever. And you put it there and... Just the understanding that this is my offering to you, grandmother. Grandmother means all maternal lineage or entire maternal ancestry. 
this is my offering to you, grandmother. Please give me the serenity to see this day through or to see this meal through or to see this husband through or whatever we have to see through. You didn't get that anyway. <laughs> anyway, the, the fact is, or to see our children through many, many of our w- wonderful women are homeschooling right now. It could not be easy. So whatever we need to, you know, there are days when it's so overwhelming for so many that we are really not sure that we can get the support that we need. And altars help us. They help us to unload what it is we can't bear any longer inside of us. I love that. And it's so simple. It doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing. It's just a couple of sentimental things to you. Like beside my bed, I have an image of my nonna who was 95 when she passed and she was my only grandparent that I knew and got to spend time with. And she was there my whole life. Like I felt so sad when she passed because she was my only grandparent. So sad. So when I look at her, I feel so connected and it's so beautiful. And so it's just in my drawer beside my bed, but you've inspired me to get that out and to put a little flower or a crystal or something and put that in that corner of my house so that I can just feel connected to her. It is so beautiful as sharing because each one of us has those memories. We have a memory of a forebear who was so important to us or of an elder in the community. And that's why I say elders. Let's get back to the elders. So many, do you know, so many elder women would just, it doesn't matter how poor they are or whether they speak English or not. The fact is that we approach them, they give us their entire time. They give us unlimited amount of love, attention, hugs, embrace. They wean us again. You know, each one of us in my family, in the village that I was born in, was brought up by a midwife. We were home, home birth and we had all African Guyanese uh, midwives who loved us and took care of us. The African women were way more suited to midwifery than the Indian women who were afraid of blood. So basically, we, we, <laughs> we <laughs> I do slip those things in, Melissa. <laughs> and so basically, all of our doulas were, were wonderful African women, you know, who had been through the mill with the whole British colonized slavery trip. And, uh, or their forebears had gone through, and yet these women had such incredible grace. And I still today look at that as one of the major blessings of my life to have been brought up in a village, a true village, not an idiomatic village, but a true village that understood that we need our community back. But if we're going to vie with each other and vet each other and be a rival to each other, it's not going to be a circle of women or a circle of goddesses. And it's more than the mutual respect. As I said, respect is not lacking. What is lacking is our inability to share our wounds. Because I feel it makes us less, but in fact it makes... It took me years and years, because you could imagine as a Vedic scholar and as a whatever it is I, I had become, you know, just accepting. I thought I had written my journey over in cancer, had written it for me. The goddess saw fit to give me more life. I left the fashion industry and went on to India, back to the motherland to learn Vedas, Sanskrit, Ayurveda, which became the love of my life. And then understood that, wrote my books and and, uh, emptied so much 
that I felt I was totally and completely emptied of the wounds that we carry. And then later in my life, way later, just about 10 years ago, I became a target, and I'm not sure of whom or what, but a very highly organized group of people who probably take umbrage at what I do in the holistic field or, or who knows. It, it could be any number of factors, but let's just say they're highly organized and they're highly developed in the art of dehumanization. And let's not talk too much about that because we don't want our women to have even a further issue. But what it did for me was made me understand here again is another opportunity after the angst and the disbelief and everything else that comes with this type of experience, I finally came back to level ground. That's why I returned to the property here in Pisca Mountain. It is not, it's the most exquisite forest in one of the forests of America, but it is smack bang in the middle of the South in the United States. And if you know anything about the political, geographical nuances that are here, you would understand that it is absolutely not a liberal place in terms of societal acceptance and stuff like that. But nonetheless, I came back here to ground. And and what happened was I realized once again that there is yet another level and layer that has to be stripped. And it is, again, the mother wound, not that we're always healing. We're forever healing. It's not that we haven't done the work. Some of us have done so much work. Others have done much less work, but our karmas are different and didn't need to do all the deep, intensive work. Well, obviously, I, w- I needed to be stripped to the bone because basically it, has, it is what happens in my life. And so what I'm trying to say to us women is that it's hard to carry the dignity of who you are and then say to someone, oh, yeah, my mother wound, you know. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> But it doesn't matter anymore because basically what matters is we are who we are, not only because of that wound, but we become even more glorious because we begin to heal that wound. Then no one can take away our light and no one can negotiate with us. In fact, we become non-negotiable, not stubborn, but non-negotiable. This is the truth. This is where I stand. This is what is happening. And it matters not because when we can heal that wound, we no longer have the fears of anything to lose. It is so freeing, Melissa. And so I I felt that this year I'll concentrate a lot on the mother wound and helping women to get to the bottom of, of their stories and to clean it up, strip it, and let's just carry the lightness of our own karma and own self, which is linked to all of these things, but it's not necessarily ruled by them. Oof, it's exciting. You know, it's like what you're saying about the peeling back the layers and digging deep. It's exciting. And like you said, some people have done a lot more work. Some people, that, that's their karma. Everyone's got a different journey and it's exciting. But I want to hear, you spoke a little bit about Shakti, Shaktified, and you talk a lot about becoming Shaktified. What does that mean? Oh, it's, it's just, I love to make up words just to confuse the British. Shaktified is my word. Shaktification is another word. I've got quite a bit of my own dictionary, by the way. I love it. I love it. What is happening is, it just means it's a memory thing that if I were to plant a word and it means something to me, could be gibberish as well. It doesn't have to be Sanskrit. Then 
that meaning will be the lens through which I remember something. So if I say to you, you're entirely shaktified, it means, yes, we are. All of us women are entirely shaktified. We just don't know it. Yes, we forget. And then we have all these habits that have plundered, you know, plundered our largest, our gift. And, but they haven't destroyed it. So the good thing is we are shaktified. We are the image of the goddess. We are in every way with all of our faults and with all of our weaknesses, we are the goddess. And the shaktified force is within us. And no one can take that away, but they have tried to destroy it for millennia. But the fact of the matter is another way to connect with Mother Earth and Mother Divine within ourselves as women is to do something with the earth, for the earth, whether it's our private gardening or whether it's a community gardening or whether it's setting up a community organic gardening or whether it's just a couple of pots of basil, lavender and sage in our home. We need to be able to reconnect with that seed and watch the sprout grow and watch the plant come into life because that is the most glorious example of the awakening of our Shakti. Mm, and it's so simple. Like anyone and everyone can grab a pot and put it on their windowsill and grow some basil. Anyone can do that. And you've inspired me. Thank you. I'm going to get onto that. I'm going to get my husband onto that and do that together. It's a beautiful thing to do. It's a beautiful thing to do, to get your hands in the dirt and the soil and give back in that way. Things like composting as well, such a big thing that we can all do that's so easy. And it's a way that we can give back to the earth. So I love that you mentioned that. And I think what opens any work that builds our compassion eventually helps us to be more compassionate towards ourselves. I'll, I'll share you something that's even more intimate than what we've been talking about. And the intimacy of this, Melissa, you would understand it because I know your ancestry is, is quite strong, actually, your maternal one. But the, the incredible importance of of the earth in our life, you know, the just just that glorious way of, of of communing with her. I said I came back to get my footing because I was being thrown by a huge group that targets individuals such as myself in very covert ways. So the, the law out here is called injustice. So basically, and don't say that with bitterness, it's the truth. But the bitterness is gone. The anger is gone. I couldn't afford to have these strangers live within me. So basically, I had to do what Gandhi once said, and that is, let not someone walk through your mind with their dirty boots. And so I kept remembering that. But we were talking about getting a little garden or a little plot or a little whatever. One of the other things that I found, because I had started the Mother Row Mission on Mother's Day 1998 for the inner of New York and Guyana and, and in the cities of New York, I mean, manifold layers of difficulties from violence to women abuse to drugs to guns to you name it. And we have associations still. I train volunteers who do the work for free and take it to these communities because you have to live with a broken community in order to make it heal. You cannot be a sophisticated coming in, in a, on an elite train trying to help the poor. It doesn't work because the contrast is too shocking. Nobody's going to trust you. So we found all that out. And so we definitely ended up, you know, thank goodness I look like an ethnic person because that works in any culture, <laughs> in, in any adverse community. And in any stage, you morph into what you need to be. 
And so the, being a, an Indian or an ethnic person does have its advantages, Melissa. Anyway, the fact of the matter is this, that when we started the mission, the women are, I mean, and they're the kindest human beings on earth. They don't demand anything and you know they're being abused at home and you know that there may be alcoholism with their children and you know there's drugs in the home and you know that somebody just shot somebody. I mean, bizarre stories, but it all happens within the families there. It was the first time that I understood the scholarly mind is part of our journey, but that basically kindness is so supreme. It was the first time that inside of me awakened not this glorious Maya who has a mind of Mahamaya, but basically a person that couldn't go to sleep from tears at night because of the stories that we lived during that weekend at the Mother Rome Mission. And if we can bring ourselves or have enough time, and this is difficult for people in an economic straitjacket right now, we are all in, in that way because many are not working or whatever. But if it is any time at all is there and you can help someone less fortunate than yourself, especially children or elders, then do so. Because if you think you have a mother womb, now that we know that we have the mother womb, and you see those who are so much less fortunate than yourself, something happens that shifts us into an area of gratitude. We can't go do gratitude yoga and we can't do compassion yoga and get it. We can't do love yoga and get it. We can do naked yoga and become naked. That's about it. But basically, what we can do is invoke those deeper, deep-seated, innate qualities of being a Shakti force, compassion, kindness, sharing, giving, helping someone, because not because we don't have the time, but because they need it. You could have an emergency going on, but they need it. Their need is bigger than yours, so let's do that. No question about that then the understanding not only of compassion, but more importantly, gratitude for who we are. That was another missing piece in me in the early 40s into, into all the way up to 50. And I understood that being a scholar was definitely a wonderful thing, but not enough. Not enough for the purpose and the journey that needed to be walked. Yeah, so important. Oh my gosh, you've said so many things just in that section that I'm just like, yes, downloading the kindness piece. It's so important, kindness to ourselves, kindness to others, gratitude for ourselves, gratitude for everything, just so important. Besides all of your incredible books, you have so many books. If you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides yours, let's presume they're already in there, what is one other book that you would choose? Emotional Intelligence. I forgot who wrote it. Okay. But you could research that. A very well-known gentleman. Yes. I'll link to it in the show notes. The Autobiography of a Yogi. Oh, so good. But definitely for children, Emotional Intelligence. It's a lacking education. It doesn't challenge anybody's tradition either. Oh, good. And you know what? Like I asked this question on my podcast and so many people say that same thing. Like I wish there was a class in school teaching the children how to deal with their emotions, how to process things, how to move through the things that arise within them. There is, there's nothing like that. You're not taught that. It's true. And that's why the mother omission, we have children classes as well, because it sort of becomes the place where these stressed out parents drop their children off as a daycare, but it's not supposed to be a daycare. But we are so happy to have any bit 
to play in, in these communities that we do it. But one of the things I designed was a play yoga program, which is taking the poses and have stories around it. And they play, they become the actual animal of that posture and they tell their stories. And it's amazing what we have learned through it. Now we've influenced some of the schools in these at-risk communities where instead of time out, and this is going back to the end of the 1990s that we started this, instead of time out, they get a meditation class and a meditation class. Then we stopped doing that because children were equating meditation with time out, which is not good. And so, you know, we introduced the play yoga into some of the elementary schools and it was really wonderful. Yes, we have to change our education. But I'm talking more about the wound, the mother wound uh, for women, because what happens with women because of our emotions, and we have to have these emotions. Mother Earth is temperamental. There's no way she's going to stand there stoic like a stick. She is totally temperamental, and she gives all of her expressions through five elements and her glory. Women are the same way, and we need to accept ourselves as that. But what happens is we can have such rushes of emotion that we forget our intelligence too. And that's why the emotional intelligence when we're working with the mother womb is so very important. It teaches us better communication skills with each other rather than say, you're doing this and you're, you're, you just threw that thing over my head. I, you know, yeah, of course you did. But the fact of the matter is that there's a different, more wonderful way to put it. And that is, oh, thanks a lot. You could have at least let me know the doc. But what I'm trying to say is we've got to stop challenging each other. Our role is so important that this earth heals and it wouldn't heal without the women. So as we reclaim our, and one of the most amazing things that has been for the journey of many of the practitioners that I've trained, all of whom are women now, what basically has happened for them is to understand the whole principle of, of going into ourselves and facing our mother wounds and coming out of it and, and working with each other is that we really are meant to do this. This is, had been our purpose all along. It's not just started. It's not as a result of COVID or any other disease. It is as a result of the other disease that has taken over our external world, but in so many ways, surreptitiously kidnapped our inner world as well. Absolutely. It is. It's like holding us hostage. It does hold us hostage because we're taught to behave a certain way. We're taught not to tell the truth. We're taught not to tell our truth, never mind the truth. We're taught to hold things in and then we're taught to blow up because we can't hold them in any longer. And it's okay. You know, all of it is okay. It's okay to be in every culture, especially those that are privileged. It has never been okay to show your vulnerability or fragility. And I, I had to work a lot on that in myself. And I must tell you, it is such a relief. It is such a joy. It is. It brings this risible sense of, oh, just a childlike risible sense of happiness. And that is to share with another your deepest wound. Of course, it has to be heard. And we don't go about just sharing it with someone who's not listening because then it's more hurtful, really. And I've been there too. It's very hard when you become a monk and a sannyasa and then you've got the status and stature that you have accomplished. It's very hard to find those you can talk to except the elders. Can you share that with your partner or do you feel like it has to be an elder? 
uh, the poor men, they need, they need their therapies as well. I mean, they need to find the male elders of, of all these native traditions as well so that they can get some help. I've been meaning to write a book for men's healing because basically having heard the stories of women for so many decades, Melissa, I feel sorry for the men. <laughs> I do feel sorry for the women too, but what I'm trying to say is we have the Shakti. We have a Shaktified force that we can bring back alive and awaken. Their journey is a lot more arduous than that. We have shortcuts. They don't. Mm. They've been suppressed too a lot. You know, they've been suppressed and not allowed to show their emotions and they've got to be tough and things like that. So they have their own healing to do as well. I love men. My father was an amazing pioneer. My guru was an amazing pioneer. I love men. I love powerful, but I'm talking about nature powerful, not, not veneer greed powerful. But yeah, the Shiva Shakti force must come together. We cannot do the Shakti thing without the Shiva, which is the male. And they can't do their thing without the Shaktified force. But we are the leaders in this field. The leaders, because we have the procreative Shakti, the creative, the absolute innate sense of we don't have to study it. Nobody knows how to teach it anyway. But the innate synchronicity with Mother Nature, we were given that. We have to understand that. And we just have to get into an intelligent not non-emotional, I'm more emotional than most people would ever know, but it, using the sentiency, using some serenity with it as well, pacing ourselves back even though we're young. It took me a long time to become a little bit more mature. I've always, my mother said, because women who don't give birth to children usually never mature. Okay, we, I don't know if that's true or not. Probably in my case, it was true. But but in any event, and that's not defacing me, I, I appreciate what I have learned through very hard knocks and a very unusual set of circumstances. I so appreciate that there is a level of maturity that I can now own that I didn't own in my 40s or my 30s or my 20s. Nor did I get it in my 50s because I was in my 50s and that was a shocking time because I didn't realize so many years had passed, I was still thinking 35. And 15 years or more had gone, and someone said, it's your 50th birthday, we have to celebrate. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it's not just my New York fashion image. It was I was surprised that that had happened. And so the maturity really is about a sense of self, a sense of poise, even under duress, a sense of being broken, but at the same time, the understanding that we will gain our poise again. So we can't shut down the brokenness. We have to open it. We, it has to be raw. has to be witnessed. That's why the elder or the husband. But be careful what we share with our husband too, because if they, depending on their own karma, they can throw it back at you. And then there goes the solution as well. So we trust our husbands. We trust our spouse. But we also don't. What I found out when I became a target is this. I love to share things with those that are close to me, my family members. Of, but I realize that most people, no one that I talk to could understand it or even, even have a, a grip on what it is I was enduring. And I felt more isolated and estranged by having shared that with people who couldn't hear it. It wasn't their fault. They just had no point of reference. Most people don't. Our culture has closed that up. Everyone who's died from poisoning that's been a guru has never shared their story. And so basically, 
you know, history keeps rewriting itself in the image of whoever is writing it. And so then I had to understand, okay, you can't go telling this. It's the truth, but you, you have, you're bearing the burden of not only enduring this, but not being heard is worse than enduring it, really. So what I'm trying to say to you is choose your elders well. You always know when that light comes to meet you or you go to meet that light, that it's, that's maturity. That, for me, is the definition of maturity, is being able to discern, knowing that we have the power to poise even in our most vulnerable, broken, miserable state of being. You have inspired me to seek out my elders and sit with them. And it's really interesting because with my nonna, and she didn't speak fluent English, so she was spoke very broken English, and I would just sit with her and hold her hand and we would communicate. And I would know exactly what she's thinking and saying and you were right what you said before about they have unconditional love, unconditional time. And we would just communicate through our hands. And sometimes I would still like in my thirties, I would just go to her and I'd put my head on her lap and she'd just stroke my hair and we would communicate. And it's so beautiful. So I miss her so much. And you've really inspired me to seek out my elders again and have that because I don't have that in my life at the moment. I don't have that. I've got my parents and that's that's it. That's it. And and my parents are in their very early 60s. So yeah, thank you for inspiring me with that. It also helps them to take back their stuff. It's wonderful. It it is a mutual, mutually beautiful thing to do. I'm so grateful to be on your show, Melissa. By the way, may I ask what your nana's ancestry was or is? She is Italian. Uh, yes. And yeah, they, all of her family, all of her line were born there. And then she migrated to Australia when my dad was around seven. They migrated to Australia. And yeah, she was my only grandparent that I got to form that connection with. And she was so beautiful. She lived by herself up until she was like 94 years old by herself. Like she was incredible, such a beautiful woman. Oh, that sounds beautiful. I love your culture. The Italian culture is very, very similar to the Indian culture, actually. Yes. In so many ways. Well, I would love to ask you if there's anything else that you want to share, any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you didn't get to talk about that you wanted to talk about. Actually, no. I think the main thing on my mind today was the mother wound. And uh, I happen to have a very, very, had two mothers, an elder mother and my birth mother. And that's another long story. But the fact is that my elder mother died some years back and close in a different relationship to each. My birth mother is only in her 80s, really. She gave birth when she was very young and in fairly good health. And I've had a magnificent relationship with her and understood that even though I had this great relationship with my mother, I always felt close to my father. He died when I was much younger. And there was that because of the looking up to the the idol and, and, and that whole understanding that makes us who we are actually as women is it's a very healthy thing as well. But after his death, I made it a point to get to know my mother better. And I think that too, in and of itself is, and please ladies, do not discuss your mother wound with your mother. It's an important piece. Oh, it's very important because you'll end up blaming her for something. If the relationship isn't 
all that beautiful and balanced, and if it's leaving you empty and da, 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 distance doesn't help it, nor does closeness. So basically, you need to forge an in-between, something that makes her happy. You are the giver. You are the daughter that hasn't changed. She's given so much in our childhood, whether or not we remembered it or whether or not we remembered in a certain way she was there. If she wasn't there, then that's, that's all right, too. So we have to be able to not let her be our mentor on this because it will reflect poorly, absolutely without a doubt, because I've seen this happen with women that I have taught. And when we do get to her and we do talk to her, because we have already we have come to terms with our own wounds. And at the end of the day, there's really no one to blame, not even ourselves. Exactly. That's a beautiful place to round this out. And I have one more question for you. I'm a big believer in service and giving back and you serve so many people, you help so many people. How can we, listeners and I, serve you? How can we give back to you today? Oh, what a beautiful question. No one's ever asked me that. First time for everything. (laughs) There is a first time for everything and it's a beautiful question. And really, just by getting the word out to all of these women that have been listening to us and for being so very noble and insistent about this interview because we've had some go around with it and I was very happy to receive the invitation again to do this, Melissa. And also for those women who want to hear about more about, we have short-term courses on womb shakti that really helps us to bring our cycle back in tandem with the new moon and what we do with the full moon so that we can reclaim our synchronicity and our love affair with Mother Nature. And we need to heal the wound as well because we did hand it over to the medical authorities and other sciences. And we need to take it back. We need to know how to care for for that for our teenage girls and for ourselves. So we can always send these wonderful ladies and women and goddesses and mothers to our website that has the online trainings and programs. And it's wiseearthschool.com. And we'll link to that in the show notes. That would be wonderful. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could sit and talk with you for hours. So thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and for the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful. My pleasure and really namaste. This conversation has inspired me so much to want to learn more from our elders and to sit at their feet and to just listen. And I hope it's inspired you too. And if it has, please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes or in your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. Don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading them all. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 317. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. 
You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And just a little reminder for anyone who does post a screenshot on Instagram, I just want to thank you. I screenshot them all because I love them. I save them. And most often I will try and reshare them. So please tag me in them and share them on your social media and I will try and share as many as I possibly can. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.